Our scripture reading for this morning comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 12. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, he'll give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he'll give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. We're coming to the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So this text that we pick up uh, here this morning is toward the end of a number of things that Jesus had taught about. And he had already taught extensively on prayer in Matthew 6. That's where we get the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, where he calls us to this uh, dependency and turning to the Lord. And then towards the end of of, uh, the teaching, he circles back again with this emphasis here on prayer. And I want you to notice that there is this progressive intensity going on. And the asking and the seeking and the knocking. And uh, Jesus encourages us to come to God in prayer intensely and passionately. And there's a persistence about it. As English readers and reading this in English and even in our um, North American context, we would tend to read this with a very sort of balanced cadence. Here's what I mean by that. We would, we would read it like others. Oh, Ask, and that's how you receive. Seek, and that's how you find. Knock, and that's how things are open. And we would put sort of equal emphasis on the asking and the receiving, and the seeking and the finding. And the, this is the way we read it. But I would just want to take a quick second, give you a super short Greek lesson, which I know is very exciting. Um, but we're going to go someplace with it. And I hope this is encouraging to you, particularly if you've... Well, whether you've been in church for years or decades, I hope this is encouraging. And whether you're here for the, this morning, maybe you're uh, a friend of one of the ones that got baptized and you don't uh, profess faith in Christ at all. This would be completely new, but I hope this is encouraging uh, to you. Uh, in the original Greek language, there was massive emphasis, massive emphasis on three words, ask, seek, and knock. In English, we have three tenses, past, present, future. In Greek, there's seven tenses. Because it lets them be a little bit more specific. In the Greek language, there's not only seven tenses, but there is um, four moods. And you would pick a different mood to insinuate the way something should be done. So this is uh, given in what's called the imperative mood. And if somebody speaks in an imperative mood, it's a command. So if it were not for prayer, you would essentially read something in the imperative mood with this level of intensity like it's a command. Notice that... It seems as though the commanding is us, that that level of intense commanding is actually from us to God. It goes without saying, we don't command God to do things. But that's the level of intensity that Jesus invites into our prayer. Not only that, um, but the the tense and the the mood put together mean that you, you could translate this by saying, ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. And it's all caps. It would be like you're reading something and all of a sudden you come across three words and they're size 27 font bolded. That's what Jesus is doing with the asking and the seeking and the knocking. 
If somebody sends you a text and, it's, and they come to pick you up to take you someplace and they're outside your apartment or your house and they text you here, you look down and you say here and you're like, okay, they're here. But if they text you in all caps, here, you're probably going to get into the car and you're going to be like, is everything okay? Like, are you mad at me? Or what? Because just that little nuance is enough to send a completely different message. Yo, all caps, are you yelling at me? Jesus calls us invites us to ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on, seek, keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. And it's so intense, it begs the question, what kind of people do that? Children. Mom, 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 mommy, mom, 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 dad, daddy, dad, 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 mom, mom, dad, dad, dad. It's a profound image of utter dependence, radical dependence, unapologetic, constant crying out. This is what God invites. And he goes, he goes on to say, what kind of a God do we have? Well, he's not cruel. He's going to meet us. So we're encouraged to ask with humility We ask with humility because God is a loving Father who provides for us. Jesus has already actually taught on this when he's saying, look at the birds, look at the flowers. God will take care of your needs. He knows what you need even before he asks. And so you see the emphasis is not on the receiving at all. Because God being with us in the midst of whatever it is that we need, it's a given that he will strengthen us and his presence will be there and he will do renewal and he will give us courage or whatever. it is. It's a given. It's profound. And so it's this childlike dependence that we're invited into to be like these intense children that just won't stop asking. They won't stop running around the house to find you. They won't stop knocking at your door. They're relentless. And this is what Jesus invites. This is the kind of God who loves us. He invites us to seek with confidence because God is a loving Father who never abandons us. This is all through the Scripture. And again, as pragmatic modern North Americans, we, we see the asking and the seeking and the knocking as, as needing to receive s- stuff, things, something. If we back out of this and really consider what the asking and the seeking and the knocking and the opening door is, is this is a person that we need. This is someone we are hunting and chasing, someone whose presence we desperately need. It's all through the scriptures, the seeking of, of, of God. I'll give you a couple examples The scriptures say things like, Seek my face, my heart says to you, Your face, O Lord, I will seek, Psalm 27. The young lions suffer and they they have needs and they hunger, but those who seek the Lord, they lack no good thing, Psalm 34. Seek the Lord in his strength and his presence continually, Psalm 105. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, Psalm 119. God's not hiding from his kids. When you were little, there was probably times when your parents needed a break from you. They're like, go play outside. Go do this. Go do that. They, they, they hide from you. Daddy's going to be in his office. Mommy's going to be in her bedroom. Like, they just, I just need some space. Those of you who have little children right now, you hide from them. You just, yeah, you try. Exactly. You're like, mommy, daddy just needs a break. And they're like, dad, daddy, dad, 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 mom, mom, mommy, mom, mom. We're being given a picture here of being invited to do something that actually... Humanly speaking, you and I become very weary when people are asking and seeking and knocking and needing. 
And the needing never stops. And we're like, I need a break. But our Heavenly Father doesn't need a break. He's not hiding. All through His Word, He's inviting it. So we ask with humility because He's a loving Father that provides. We seek with confidence because He's a loving Father that never abandons. And we knock with perseverance. The image of the open door. Come on in. The person. This is the escalation of the prayer. It, 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 it culminates in the door opening and being received in by a person, being welcomed in by a person, having the comfort, the strength by a person. In all of our sorrow, in all of the darkness, in all of our need, in all of the tragedy, we think we need answers, but we don't need answers. We need a person. The healing comes from the person. The strength and the renewal, the courage, the one who lifts the head and wipes the tears. It's a person. It's our Heavenly Father. It's His presence. Jesus invites all of this. Because we have a God who knows our pain. We have a God who incarnated himself in Jesus Christ. He knows what it is to be human. He knows the suffering. He knows the weariness. He knows the sorrow. And not only this, but of course we know that our God went to the cross for us. Yes, for the forgiveness of sins. But not only for the forgiveness of sins. To do away with humanity's humanity's ultimate problem. The big boss battle that nobody ever wins. Death in the grave. You see, we not only have a God who knows our pain, we have a God who has already given everything. So therefore, we know that He can be with us in the sorrowful, needy times. We can't wrap our minds around this, but it's because God is outside time. It's a mind bender, but He's already outside time. So that doesn't mean he's, he doesn't care about what we need on Monday. It means he deeply cares and invites us to cry out to him on what we need on Monday because he's, out time, he's outside time. He's already done everything that is needed for you and I to experience ultimate renewal and flourishing, which is not to just have the here and now work out pretty good. If in the end it's all being erased when the sun goes supernova like all stars do. And then there's no evidence in the cosmos that humanity ever existed. We're not, we don't have a teleology that ends in futility. And then the only way to have joy is to not think about that very deeply. You see the resurrection of Jesus Christ in Christian faith. The celebration of baptism is just as we go under the waters of baptism and come out under the pouring waters of baptism. It is a symbol of death and resurrection, our union with Christ, that in the end God will restore all things that he desired in the beginning. That the teleology of humanity is that we will flourish on this earth that is restored in bodies that are resurrected. For those of you who are visiting here this morning and you're um, you know, uh, exploring Christian faith, curious about Christian faith, Christians do not believe in a missing body theory. We don't believe in Jesus Christ because we're like, they never found the body. You know, let's worship for millennia about this. It's not a missing body theory. It was a resurrected, visible, physical body. It's what set ancient Rome absolutely on its ear. These aren't like, you know, ancient simpletons. They had platonic educations. These are wise people. But because hundreds and hundreds of people... Hundreds and hundreds of people saw the resurrected Christ. It is precisely why the Greco-Roman world was turned on its ear. Because the bodily resurrection of Jesus is true. It's why, if you study sociology, this is a conundrum for sociologists. Because nobody abandons their worldview overnight. But 
Greeks and Romans and Jews all abandoned their worldviews overnight and they worshiped Jesus as God. Not in a thousand years when some legend evolved. Overnight, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a conundrum if you're a sociologist because, of course, you, it's difficult to explain how thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people would abandon generations of culture and heritage and philosophy to worship someone who, by all cultural reasoning, should not be worshipped. And yet they did. That's all I'm going to say about that. Much more could be said about it. If you're curious about that, reach out to me. I'll have a coffee. I work so cheap. Just buy me a coffee. We can talk about whatever it is you want to talk about. But why is this reasonable as an intellectual person uh, to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And my encouragement to you is it is completely reasonable because uh, we don't believe in a missing body theory. There is a historical point in human history that we point back to. 33 AD under Pontius Pilate. And three days later that tomb was empty. And the Romans said it was empty, and the Jews, uh, the Jewish uh, uh, religious leaders said it was empty. All of history agrees it was empty. And the question is, why was it empty? And we believe it in the resurrection. So this open door of this God who says, come in and come to me with your childlike dependency and don't cease to do it. This is encouraging because it showcases gracious patience. Our God does not tire of us. Our God welcomes us. We don't have a God who says, ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking, because I'm really stubborn, or I'm a cosmic ogre, and I just need you to suffer a little bit longer. It's not about that. It's a, it is an announcement that you will not tire him. You will not frustrate him. No amount of crying and knocking and seeking and flopping on the bed and struggling with your sin and going back to him the next day, none of it makes God say, I've had it with you. This is an announcement that our God is a God of wondrous forgiveness, scandalous grace, and by the power of his Holy Spirit over the course of our lives does deep renewal so that we will turn from our sin. But in the meantime, ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. We will absolutely, he does not tire of us. We as humans, we tire you have people in your life and you'll say things like this. Maybe not out loud, but you might say to yourself, just like, they drain me. They're so draining. They're so draining. They're so needy. They're so, I just can't. Like, wow, I just can't today. God has never once thought about you that way. You can't even get your mind around that. <laughs> because of the, his grace is mind-blowing. Jesus, through verses 9 to 11 expresses this by saying, which of us, if our, if our children asks us for bread, would be vindictive and give them a stone? He's saying that our God does not have to be persuaded to open the door to welcome his children in. And then Jesus says something provocative, and he says, if you being evil know how to good, give good things, how much more your father? And of course, the being evil is not a comparison of, oh, that's offensive, I'm not evil, I'm a good person, I have morals. Yeah, you do, but, I mean, you're comparing yourself to another human. Standing, standing next uh, to the wondrous grace of God, God incarnate, Jesus Christ. By that comparison, all of us are evil. And he's given us this because there's a standard that, of course, none of us can are living up to as it relates to his love and his wisdom and his grace. It would be like us saying, well, I'm not evil. Uh, that's, a, that's an offensive verse to me. Uh, that's the equivalent of going into a gas station bathroom and saying, wow, this is nice. Um, 
Raise your standards. So you see, God's standard of love and wisdom and grace, courage and ge- generous justice, as we see in Jesus, in the life that Jesus lived, transcendent and tender, powerful and patient, all of these things. This is what gives us confidence. He's not trying to crush us. He's trying to invite us to continually come to the one who never tires of us. And I want to remind you that this is, he's, we're being welcomed with open arms. Those same arms that later, three years after this, would be stretched out on a cross. We're being welcomed by this God who's not indifferent to suffering but knows us deeply. And I close with this. Verse 12. Curious. He says, therefore... And then he summarizes the law. Therefore, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. This is the law and the prophets. Whenever the Bible says therefore, you've got to wonder, of course, what it's there for. So why, at the end of this conversation around constantly seeking God, if the conversation is all about perpetually turning to God and saying, open the door, I need your presence in my life, I need you, God, I need your strength, I need your grace, I need your wisdom... Why does he say, oh, and therefore, now I go love your neighbors. This is here because if we are like the children, which is the metaphor here, dad, dad, daddy, dad, dad, dad. If we are like the children who always have the door open to us, that gives us a tremendous sense of identity and security. And generosity flows from security. No security, no generosity. No sense of security in who I am and that I am loved, that I am God's child, that he will provide, that he will care, that he will get me through this. I don't know how he'll get me through this, but he will get me through this. That provides such a stability and security. Therefore, generosity. The law and the prophets. Therefore, I can live a curved out life. But without the security, without the stability, without, the, without, without this sense of identity, there is no curved out life. Because you're going to take all of that asking and all of that seeking and all of that knocking on the wrong doors. Of some small, insufficient, impotent mini-Messiah that cannot satisfy the chronic craving of the human soul. And therefore we cannot go out and love our neighbor and give our lives away freely because there is no security and stability. We are given the crushing burden of being our own God, our own Savior, and curating our identity, and curating our meaning, and curating our stability, and curating our security, and it's exhausting. So the invitation here is away from a life of exhaustion and to be like a little child and turn to the one who loves so that we can then, by God's grace, Turn to the one who not only rescues, but revives and renews and reforms. And so may we, like little children who know they are loved, turn to our loving Father in this way. Let's pray.